1: Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolnes. Well, coming up, the Eagles making some big changes in the coaching staff. I'm going to get into all that coming up here in the next few minutes and talk to Eagles beat writer for the Associated Press, Rob Motti, here in just a minute about his reporting on the future of Carson Wentz. And I'll also uh, dip into my predictions on the NFL's opening weekend of playoff games. The wild card round is here, three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. I wasn't a big fan of expanding the playoffs to seven teams in each league, but bonus NFL playoff games are a pretty good deal, so I think this is probably going to be okay. But we'll get into all of those predictions, and I'll let you know what my Super Bowl pick is going to be coming up here at the end of the podcast. But first, joining me to talk about the Eagles offseason now that it's officially underway is Rob Motti, the Phillies and Eagles beat reporter for the Associated Press. Of course, uh, Rob also is a host at 97.5 The Fanatic, as well as the host of Faith on the Field. You can follow him on Twitter. You probably already do at Rob Motti. Rob, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy, man. How are you?
2: Hey, man. Great to be here. Great to ha- uh, you know spend some time with you, and I really appreciate it.
1: I appreciate you coming on, and and obviously uh, your beat, um, the Eagles' beat, and specifically the Carson Wentz beat this whole season has been such a drama here in the NFL. And I'm trying to remember the last time a team this bad dominated the headlines for an entire season the way Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles have dominated them because it's such an interesting soap opera. And, of course, there are lives, you know, that Carson Wentz's future is kind of in doubt and, you know, the the future of the football team is in doubt. And, you know, just to kind of start us off here, where are we right now on Carson Wentz and his place with the team? Because we hear different things that the relationship's fractured. He wants out. No, he actually wants to stay in. I know a lot of your reporting has been in close contact with people inside the Carson Wentz camp. So can you give us the latest on where things stand with him right now?
2: Yeah, John, I reported on Tuesday. And as we do this interview, I have no reason to believe that things have changed since Tuesday. So (laughs) as you know, and things are fluid, right? So as of Tuesday, my reporting was that Carson needs some time to just get away, Mm -hmm. right? It it was a, a difficult season for him. There was frustrations for him, how he played, how he performed, uh, how things went down, how everything unfolded with with him and the team. So he just needs some time to get away before they get together and, and they sit down and they just talk about the future and what he wants to do and what they want to do. Now we heard from Howie Roseman that they're planning, they're not planning to trade him right now. Mm-hmm. Doug Peterson has gone on record and stated numerous times that he wants to fix things with Carson Wentz. I also reported on Tuesday that the relationship is the term I used strained. We know that we know he wants to be a starter. Any competitive person wants to be a starting quarterback. So once he takes time to think about it, this isn't an easy decision for him. It's a very difficult decision. There are multiple layers and factors involved. So once he comes to a determination on what he wants to do, it may not be in line with what the team wants to do. And that's the key thing that I think a lot of people are missing. Whether Carson Wentz wants to stay or go, ultimately, the Eagles hold all the control. They can decide, you stay, and we fixed this here because we invested a lot of money in you. And quite frankly, I don't think they are all that sold yet on Jalen Hurts. So mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense for the Eagles to want to work on this relationship, but from another standpoint, if they want to rebuild and they want to add draft, draft capital, you can justify trading him too as well. So there's mm-hmm. so many things that, that we
1: still have to keep an eye on. And I think impacting Carson Wentz, the person here, is, is part of this because you, you hear different things of, you know, his coachability. D- does he accept coaching well? Does, you know, ha- whose, whose offense is this right now? Is it Doug Peterson's offense? Is it Carson Wentz's offense? And we saw that the Eagles are making a lot of changes on the offens- offensive coaching staff. Uh, Rich Scangarello is leaving after one year. Morning Morningwig is out. Um, I saw reporting from Jeff McClain that Press Taylor's future is a little bit up in the air right now. And so this this offense is going to look a little different next year regardless of, of what Carson Wentz does. But do you think that there are things that he needs to hear from the Eagles in order to convince him that his future is still here? And like you said, the Eagles still need to have the ultimate say in that. But what do you think it is that Carson Wentz needs to hear from the Eagles in order for him to feel good about being the franchise quarterback?
2: That's a tough question, John, because I don't know – no matter, you know, when there's a lack of trust in a relationship and, you know, trust goes into, well, why did this team invest a premium pick, a second round pick in, in a guy who, in Jalen Hurts, instead of trying to build around Carson Wentz? There's a little, I, I believe there's a lack of trust in this relationship, mm-hmm. right? So when, when you have that, I don't know how you can mend that. Can mm-hmm. they? Yes. What can they say to him to convince him if... If he in fact decides I wanna go, what can they say? Well, maybe they can say, hey, we invested a lot of money in you. You are the franchise quarterback. We want to build around you. We're gonna bring in new offensive coaching staff members who can work with you to cater an offense to your strengths, because let's be real. This offense was not working for Carson Wentz, Mm -hmm. the Frank Reich system uh, in 16 and 17 Carson thrived under it. And then what happened? Carson got injured. Nick Foles stepped in, and to cater the offense around Nick Foles, they implemented a lot of the RPOs, they won a Super Bowl, and they decided, let's carry this back over into Carson Wentz now, and went away from what they were doing with Carson in 17, the rollouts, the play actions, running the ball. They had the third-best rushing offense that year. So could they put together a system that fits Carson Wentz yet? Now, Carson's not a vindictive guy. He's not a troublemaker. He's not someone who's going to be unforgiving. If, if he reached the point in his in the next week or 10 days or whatever that, you know what, this isn't going to work out. And, and they get together and they try and convince him otherwise. I believe that they could do that mm-hmm. because Carson's not going to be the guy who goes in there and becomes a cancer in the locker room. But it's there's a lot of revolving parts. And I think that first step, as you alluded to, is changing up the coaching staff. When I asked Doug Peterson, a few times this year about all these voices. I think the one soundbite we all took out of it was I got to be the main voice in here. Mm -hmm. And he does, but I don't believe that was the case because you had a lot of people in Carson's ear.
1: Well, and you also had a lot of people in Doug's ear and you had all these people in Doug's ear that were forced on him. And I think one of the things I'd like to see this year is for Doug to be the one to decide who his offensive coordinator is going to be, who his, who is, uh, you know, what, what the wide receiver coaches are going to tell him, whatever passing game coordinator. For me, it just seemed like this offense had no structure to it. And I don't mean the offense itself on the field. I mean, everybody just, it was like too many cooks in the kitchen, it seemed. And people didn't know who to talk to whom about. It just felt, it felt very unstructured. And I think that's why it looked unstructured on the field. Is that accurate? Yeah, there was no identity, John. Yeah. Right?
2: There was absolutely no identity with this offense. What do you want to be? And go out there and implement it. And, and as you said, too many voices in there. And this is something that we, you know, Doug Peterson is a really good leader. And as a strong leader, that makes you a good listener. Mm. So, and Doug is is genuinely a good guy. He's He's very amiable. He doesn't like confrontation. So when he's got coaches, which has been reported, right, have been forced upon him, mm-hmm. he's still going to listen to them. He's not going to yeah. shut them out. Right. So now he's got ideas coming in from Marty. He's got ideas coming in from Rich. They may not mesh with what he wants to do. He's got to try and incorporate these ideas, those ideas that he doesn't like. He's trying to avoid a blow up in, in that offensive coaching staff. And then how's that translate to? The quarterback room. how does that translate to the product we saw on the field? And, and what we saw was a complete mess. Carson have the worst season of his career, one of the worst seasons of, of a starting quarterback in, in recent memory. And that's why they're in this position. And it goes back to, well, how did that happen? Why was that forced upon him? Upper management, right?
1: Yeah. Upper
2: management. This team lacks talent top to bottom. W- why? Upper management has failed miserably in the draft.
1: So when we talk about Carson Wentz and we talk about trust, you're pointing to specifically his trust issue is with them drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round. Is that is that where most of the trust is coming from? Because it's it's interesting. I mean, it was mystifying to all of us when they sign him to the franchise deal. He leads them to the playoffs. He gets hurt through no fault of his own on a dirty hit from Jadavian Clowney. And then they go out and they draft a quarterback in the second round. Does he not look at the, the financial investment that they made in him and put his trust in that as opposed to the, the second round selection of Jalen Hurts?
2: That's what he said publicly yeah. when he was asked about it. Right. That's yeah. what he said publicly. Yeah. And, and I have
1: no reason to believe
2: that that wasn't the case. Right. I'm speculating. This mm, isn't gotcha. from not this isn't reporting. Mm-hmm. This is me speculating. When, mm-hmm. when you talk about a, a trust issue, that would be the obvious thing. Because it, here, here you have a guy who you just invested all that money in. What do you have to do this for? And, and I, I tried to sell myself on that idea. And when it happened, I was like, all right, maybe they see little Taysom Hill and Jalen Hurts. Maybe this can work. And, and I don't know if it was communicated to Carson mm-hmm. somewhere along the way that there's no way. We heard Howie Roseman after Jalen Hurts was drafted say, there's nobody, nobody is going to think a rookie quarterback is going to take over for a Pro Bowl quarterback well it happened right it happened so I don't know if at some point they communicated to Carson this it's your job but you know his performance on the field dictated that they make a change so you know it's speculation on my part when I talk about lack of trust
1: how much responsibility do you think Carson Wentz himself takes for his play this year
2: a ton I he's I I don't believe there's a guy more competitive than Carson and, and I don't think there's anyone harder on himself than Carson. Now, Carson, people get all flustered and bent out of shape with the way he handles news conferences. He's not comfortable in that scenario. He's, he's just not. And, and, and he, he doesn't always say the things that the Philadelphia fan wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that Carson needs to learn that if his future is going to still be in Philadelphia. There are things sometimes you have to say outside your comfort zone to appease people. But he's as real as it gets. He's as genuine as it gets. And because he's uncomfortable in that spotlight and uncomfortable talking to the media, he, he just doesn't always say the right things, but accountability is one of them. And I certainly believe he holds himself accountable and he should, he he performed Mm -hmm. poorly and he knows it.
1: One of the other criticisms I've heard is, is that he lacks the humility to accept coaching. And his relationship with Press Taylor is such that uh, there isn't quite as much um, criticism of his play coming from his quarterback's coach and, and that Carson has been reluctant to accept coaching and accept criticism. Do you think that that's accurate? Don't know that to be true. I, I think sometimes false narratives be,
2: become spun and they go out there and, and it, it becomes fact when in, mm-hmm. in reality it's not really based on anything. A lot of people, John, want to go back to John D Filippo. And I can tell you this, what I know about John D Filippo, there was a great relationship between Carson and Frank Reich and Frank Reich was the reason why that offense worked. I don't want to say that John D. Filippo was the reason why Carson Wentz had all that success. It was more so Carson working with Doug and Frank Reich. But it's natural to go, well, Frank isn't here, D. Filippo isn't here, Carson's regressed. I believe there's a reason why D. Filippo hasn't had success when he's gone elsewhere too, as well. Yeah. You know, I think that's a big part of it. So, uh, and I think from that. You know, the logical assumption becomes, well, DeFilippo was really good with Carson and he needs a guy like him in there. I don't know that to be the case. I I think he's a coachable guy. We'll find out because if he stays, they're going to have to fix him. If he goes somewhere else, somebody else is going to have to get him back to his old form.
1: And regarding the offense kind of moving forward. I mean, one of the other things that w- we talk about was um, some of the, the issues with, with getting everybody on the same page and, and uh, play calling for, for, for Carson Wentz this year. Do you, do you see Doug Peterson bringing in an offensive coordinator and, and giving him the same kind of power or the same kind of responsibilities that Reich had when he was here in, in 2016 and seventeen?
2: I could see him doing that because Reich ultimately wasn't calling a place mm-hmm. and Doug, that's what he wants to do. He wants to call the place. The question then becomes John is who wants to come in here, have as much influence on the offense without calling the place. Mm-hmm. Who can you bring in here now? Okay. You may not be able to bring in a guy who is of the caliber where he's on the verge of being a head coach, but you got to find a, a young offensive mind with those ideas that are innovative, that are creative and can be able to work in this situation where Doug Peterson is ultimately the coach of the the football team and the head of the offense and the play caller. There are guys out there. I don't know who they are. They got to find somebody who is in that, you know, in that Frank Reich type uh, of of image and mold to be able to bring out the best in whether it's Carson, Jalen, or if they go on and, and go in a different direction.
1: Let me ask you about some other folks here on the team, because there are other players who play for the Eagles, oddly enough. Um, you know, Shocking. it's not
2: only quarterback. People just don't <laughs> see that, right? Man, It's always the quarterback or the coach.
1: It's the way it goes in the NFL. But I, you know, I thought one of the folks who, who's, Absence on the field this year and his Im- lack of impact on the field really affected Carson Wentz with Zach Ertz And and Zacherts, obviously a, a team legend. Uh, he's going to be on the wall of fame, um, be in the Eagles Hall of Fame someday. Um, probably played his last game in Philadelphia, and the news conference afterwards was extremely emotional. He's obviously one of the greatest athletes to ever come through Philadelphia. Um, Two questions regarding him. First, um, what is his future? Is he going to stick around in the NFL? Will he be back with the Eagles? Didn't seem that way from the news conference. And how much of an impact do you think his unsteady play and his lack of time on the field this year affected Carson Wentz in the offense?
2: First question, based on his reaction on Monday and everything I'm hearing from people who are close to the situation – I can't imagine a scenario in which he's back. I really can't. Now, it's difficult for him. He's invested a lot here, too, as well. We talk about all the things that Carson's done. So has Zach. His his family's moved here, too, as well. And I know he wants to make it work here. I just can't see that happening. This team's going in a rebuild. He's got $8.5 million uh, coming to him next year. He's a he's a veteran. I, I, I anticipate Zach Ertz somewhere else. And I'll tell you what. I think he would look so good in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. Uh, playing with Tom Brady for sure. Now, as, as far as uh, how, how does you know what his his legacy is here? I mean, I, I think he, he's going to be a guy like you said. He's going to be in a Wall of Fame, and he's he's got the potential, John. I think to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, he could put together three, four, five more years.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's true, and and obviously he's he's got the Super Bowl uh performance to to kind of also give you that postseason um production that i know a lot of times Hall of Fame voters look for. Uh Jason Kelsey him
2: too. Car- Carson needed oh, it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the impact on Carson uh not having Zach Ertz, man, going you know being his go-to guy I think was a significant impact, especially when those young receivers were still they're not there yet. Those wrong, yeah. young, those young receivers uh got a long way to go and and I I don't know about Jalen Rieger yet, man, but I I hope he can pan out. Obviously, we can all look at Justin Jefferson and see what he did.
1: Uh, Jason Kelsey, is he back next year with the Eagles? He doesn't know. I don't think, Mm -hmm. you
2: know, I I don't know. He doesn't know yet. And it was interesting how it played out at the end of the season, right? We we see Jeff McLean's report about players being unhappy, about Kelsey being involved in that. And and then Jason comes out and, and puts out on Instagram that he was fine with it. He understood the situation. I don't know that that would deter Jason Kelsey from coming back. I still think that he he feels that he's got a shot at being a hall of famer and and to do that he's going to need to be maybe two or three more years at a, he got, he made the pro bowl this year, the NFL, the all pro team, the AP will put that out on Friday. Um, That's obviously a, he's been a three time all pro. That -hmm. means a whole lot more than being a pro bowl player. Mm -hmm. I believe he he's, he's working himself into a a strong uh, possibility there, but he may need two or three more seasons. So I wonder if that plays into his thinking.
1: Last one for you. Eagles got the number six pick in the draft um, and want just I'll mention this because I don't think it got mentioned before. I, I think that if the Eagles had ended up beating Washington on Sunday, the Cowboys would have jumped ahead of them in the draft order, which we would have been having a whole different conversation on Monday if they ended up winning the game and the Cowboys are drafting in front of them. But nevertheless, they have number six. There will probably be either an opportunity to move up for a spot and grab a quarterback or to take a quarterback at six. Do you think there is a possibility, and if so, how strong a possibility is it that the Eagles would take a quarterback this year in the draft?
2: I don't rule it out, and and I, I, I've said this for a couple of weeks now. Um, I believe that the best thing for Carson Wentz and the Eagles is a breakup. Mm-hmm. Even I understand that they want to try and mend this. I get it. But I think the best scenario for Carson is a fresh start somewhere else. And for an Eagles team that should be entering a rebuild, they can't think about this as a retool. If they're thinking about this as a rebuild, well, you got to really invest some draft capital in two star quality players. And and if they don't feel that Jalen hurts is the answer, I think there's a possibility they could target a quarterback. And and that wouldn't be, I know a lot of people will be like, what are you doing quarterback factory all over again? (laughs) I think there's a there's a possibility, John, I would not rule it out. But it all depends upon what's going to happen over the course of the next six weeks with Carson Wentz.
1: It's going to be a fascinating next month and a half. And make sure that you're following everything Rob Maddy does at the Associated Press by following him on Twitter at Rob Maddy. Eagles, Phillies beat writer, host of 97.5 The Fanatic, faith on the field. Rob, you do a lot of stuff, man. I hope you get some rest every once in a while. <laughs> uh, I can't wait for the day
2: after the Super Bowl ends. I'm probably going to take like three or four days off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> three or four whole days to yourself. Wow, that's fantastic. Rob, thanks for coming on Isle you the Enemy, man. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, John. I thank you so much, man. Appreciate it.
1: Well, up next, let me give you my predictions on the NFL playoffs, and I'll give you my thoughts also on the changes in the coaching staff. And that's coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So, I know, we just addressed this a little bit with Rob, but I wanted to get into it a little bit more here about the changes going on in the coaching staff and obviously the guys at BGN Radio and, um, you know, we'll have other podcasts here talking about this as well. But it's pretty clear that the Eagles are putting all of the blame for this year's offensive ineptitude on the new coaches that were forced on Doug Peterson last year. And let's not forget, these coaching hires or the decision to make these coaching changes last year were forced on Doug Peterson, a Super Bowl-winning head coach. Now, Jeff McClain and Chris Mortensen and a number of others are reporting that these changes will be made. Uh, Rich Scangarello, after utterly failing in his one year as offensive coordinator in Denver last year, is out as senior offensive assistant. I did touch on that a little bit last offseason because it did strike me as odd. That a guy could be that sought after after only getting one year as an offensive coordinator in Denver. The fact that the Denver Broncos were so anxious to get rid of Rich Scangarello that they gave him one year with Drew Locke and said, Yep, nope, we're good should have been a red flag to the Eagles. But um the Eagles went ahead with Scangarello. I mean, because he coached underneath Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. And last off season, the Shanahan tree suddenly became uh, the favorite tree in the Garden of Eden to pluck things from. However, it clearly was never a fit because Peterson is a pass-first coach. Scangarello's uh, system underneath Kyle Shanahan is all about play-action passing, which means you, you've got to focus on on zone running. I mean, what was so great about San Francisco's offense the year they went to the Super Bowl? They ran the ball a ton. So this was a combination that we all probably should have known was not going to work together. How was Doug going to infuse these new ideas into, into his offense, which is kind of, you know, and here's the thing. What is Doug's offense? Do we even know what Doug's offense looks like? Is it the offense that we saw when Carson Wentz was the quarterback in 2017 when he was putting up all those points? And the offense that we saw when Carson Wentz was in there in 2018 and 2019? It's It's hard to know because the Eagles had absolutely no deep threats in 2018 or for most of 2019. And all of Carson Wentz's talent around him in 2019 fell apart. And so it became a, a two tight end offense with lots of running back screens. And and, and then in uh, when Nick Foles was in there, it was heavy RPO. It's what we saw in the Super Bowl. It's what we've seen a lot of with Jalen Hurts. When Jalen Hurts has been in there, it's been a lot of Jalen Hurts running the football because he's not an experienced passer. So I don't know that any of us knows what Doug Peterson's offense is. I think it's good that it seems as if he's able to change the offense depending on the quarterback, but we've seen with Carson Wentz that whatever offense they had in place this year with Carson Wentz at quarterback was an utter failure, an utter and total and complete failure. And how much of it was Doug Peterson's offense? How much of it was it the plays that Carson Wentz likes to run? How much influence does Carson Wentz have on the play calling and the play design? And does Doug Peterson truly get his way when it comes to play calling? Or is it Carson Wentz driving the train there? You know, we just, I don't think we have a real good idea what Doug Peterson's offense actually looks like because he's had so many different quarterbacks. They've had so many injuries on the team that I, they've had to change things from what they wanted to be. They drafted Jalen Rager this offseason, I think with the intention of really becoming a more, more of a down-the-field offense, and he didn't have the ability to get down the field. And they didn't have Deshaun Jackson for most of the season. Miles Sanders was hurt early on and then was, was never himself. And the offensive line lost some key players and, and it never was able to gel. And, and it was Carson Wentz at that point had no idea. I think the, there was massive confusion on the offensive coaching staff. And that's one of the main reasons this offense really, really struggled. I was amazed that coming out of the bye week that this team had nothing new, that there was nothing new. They were not able to come together and put together anything that had any creativity. It was the exact same stuff that they had been doing before the bye week that had been failing. So this is no surprise that after Scang- I mean skangarella was only here on a one-year deal. So the contract expired. They decided not to bring him back. Same thing with Marty Mornenweg, also out as a senior offensive consultant. And I have no idea what Marty Mornenweg did this year. He obviously had a long run as offensive coordinator with Andy Reid, but I have no idea what his role was with Doug Peterson here this year. And McLean reports that quarterback coach Press Taylor's future with the team is uncertain. He was also promoted to passing game coordinator last year. Not a lot of good happened out of that either. Now here's where the Press Taylor situation becomes a little bit more interesting. It's been well documented. Press Taylor and Carson Wentz are very close. We also know that Carson Wentz's relationship with the Philadelphia Eagles is fractured, that there's going—and we just we just heard it with Rob— that there's going to have to be some—if there's a future going forward with Carson Wentz, there's going to have to be a mending. So, again, we just talked about it with Rob. How much does Press Taylor's relationship with Carson Wentz and whether or not he leaves or whether or not he stays affects whether or not Carson Wentz is traded or whether or not he's here? That's a big question, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons why Taylor— there hasn't been an official decision on Press-Taylor as of yet. These coaches join Jim Schwartz in leaving the organization. There's obviously going to be a, a lot of changes with the coaching staff. And McLean also reports that the Eagles will hire a formal offensive coordinator for next year. I don't think there's any coincidence, and I, I talked about this on previous podcasts as well, that the entire offense blew up without an offensive coordinator this year. There's a reason offensive-minded coaches also have offensive coordinators, because they need someone to basically run the show. Doug Peterson's going to be the play caller. But you need someone who can coordinate with the quarterbacks coach and with the running back coach and the offensive line coach and with the passing game coordinator and any other consultant you bring in to help with red zone with red zone stuff and third down play calls like Frank Reich did. You need to have a qualified offensive coordinator to help out the head coach. And there was just not enough structure this year. And that was something the Eagles found out that you needed to have more structure there. And here's the, here's the takeaway I think we all need to have. Because when, when you look at this offense, I think Doug Peterson was overwhelmed. I think he was overwhelmed trying to work in ideas from Scangarello and others that didn't mesh with their personnel. And you look at how bad this offense was. I wrote a piece for Bleeding Green Nation this week with the 10 ugliest statistics from the 2020 season. Most of them are offensive in nature. They're offensive in nature, and they're also offensive in nature. The Eagles finished the, the season ranked 27th. Remember, there's 32 teams in the NFL, 27th in offensive points per game, and tied for 28th in yards per play. Jeffrey Lurie is a pass-happy guy. He loves pass-happy offenses. And in today's NFL, it is easier to throw the football than ever before. And yet, out of 32 teams, the Eagles quarterbacks combined to throw for 3,327 yards, fifth fewest in the NFL. Carson Wentz's quarterback rating of 72.8, was one-tenth of a point better than the lowest in the NFL, Sam Darnold of the Jets at 72.7. Only one-tenth of a point kept Wentz from being the worst-rated passer in the NFL this year. Now, no matter what else was going on around him, his level of play was far worse than it had a right to be, and his benching was justified. So whatever Carson Wentz feels about his benching, whether he feels betrayed, they had a right to bench him. They had a reason to bench him. In fact, I've argued before also that it probably should have been done before it was done. A couple other statistics. The Eagles, as a team, did not score 30 or more points in a single game this season. And strangely, the closest they came was against their two most difficult opponents. They lost 38-29 to to the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 5 and 30-28 to to the Baltimore Ravens the week after The Eagles scored more than 20 points just twice in their last eight games. That's right. In the second half of the season, Doug Peterson's offense only crossed the 20-point barrier two times. So it's clear the way the offense had run in 2018 and 2019. Remember, going into last offseason, the offense in 2019 wasn't good enough. We were begging the Eagles to bring in outside voices to give Doug Peterson different ideas. That didn't work. And maybe it's just because the folks that they bring in, the process wasn't structured enough. It's also pretty clear to me, Scangarello's ideas didn't mesh with what Doug Peterson did. You got to stop going out and looking for the shiny object, guys. The, the, the McVay tree or the Shanahan. Bring in somebody who has a similar offensive philosophy to Doug Peterson. And you, and you know what needs to happen here? Because it's clear this team needed outside voices going into last season. We were begging them to do that. They've got to be the right voices. It's clear Doug Peterson didn't want to bring anybody in going into last offseason. Now he has to. And he acknowledges, I'm sure, that they have to. Whoever they bring in must align with Peterson's philosophy. They need to align what Peterson wants to do with whoever they bring in and make Doug Peterson the North Star of this offense. Not Carson Wentz. Not another offensive coach. Peterson has to be the one to own the offense. That's the only way we're going to know if Doug Peterson is the head coach of this football team moving forward. If this offense fails, we will know on whose shoulder the blame should be placed. Right? But we can't be having all of these. Too many cooks spoil the broth. There's too many chefs in the kitchen. There's a lot of food analogies going on here right now, but they both work, right? Doug Peterson has to be the one at the top. He's got to be the North Star. He has to be the one everybody looks to. And then there needs to be a clear offensive coordinator, one person underneath him to funnel things through. And then you can have Deuce Staley, and then you can have whoever they bring in as, if they keep Press Taylor as quarterback's coach, but whoever they do as quarterback's coach, have the quarterback's coach, Jeff Stoutland, the wide receiver's coach, whatever, all these guys have to funnel everything through the offensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator has to have a set, set line of responsibilities that are his, the way Frank Reich did. And Doug Peterson has to, t- has to spend his time formulating game plans, calling the plays, and keeping the team motivated. This team was too unstructured in 2020, and you see what happened, right? You see what happened. Doug Peterson has to be the—not Howie Roseman, right? Not Jeff Lurie. Doug Peterson, a Super Bowl-winning head coach. Doug Peterson finally needs to be given the power that they gave Chip Kelly when it comes to hiring his staff. Okay? Let Doug Peterson be the one— to chart the course forward. He won the Super Bowl. All right? If it doesn't work this year, then you move on from Doug Peterson. But Doug Peterson has to be able to choose his staff. They have to be able to pick the people that line up with what he wants to do. That's the only way we're going to know whether or not the Philadelphia Eagles can be fixed. Moving forward. All right, the NFL playoffs are here, and uh, here are my NFL picks for this weekend, and I'll give you my Super Bowl prediction as well. And hey, by the way, for the second year in a row, I beat out all other BGN writers and experts in our regular season game picks. Straight up, no point spread, of course, but I went 172 and 84 this year, six wins better than the next closest BGN expert, so called expert. Um, however, I did fall two games short of beating you all, the community, the true experts uh, who listen to this podcast. So con- this podcast. So congratulations to all of you in the BGN community for taking my overall title away that I won last year. So as we look ahead to the playoffs, again, we're just going to pick straight up here. The Chiefs and Packers, of course, are the one seeds and they have buys here in the wild card round. In the AFC, the two seed Bills will play the seven seed Colts at home. Uh, I have the Bills winning this game and their offense has been unbelievable. They've been averaging more than 45 points, I think it was, in the last three games. I have no reason to see why it won't stop. I'll take Bills 30, Colts 17. The three seed Steelers host the COVID ravaged Browns. I was going to take the Browns in this game. They're the six seed, but they they don't have their head coach who is in the coronavirus uh, uh, protocol he came he tested positive this week and many other coaches have not been able to participate because they're in the protocol they've been practicing virtually most of this week with all of that going on I got to take the Steelers as much as I think Ben Roethlisberger is looking kind of washed I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take the Steelers in this one 24 to 17 and in the final AFC Wild Card game I will take the 5 seed. I think the Ravens are really coming on. I think they're finding their stroke. Lamar Jackson and the running game is piling up the yardage right now. I think they're starting to hit their stride. I like the 5 seed Ravens in an upset against the 4 seed Titans who again, Derrick Henry is a monster. Ryan Tannehill is a really good quarterback. That offense is really good as well, but I think the Titans defense will get run all over. I'll take the Ravens winning this one 28 to 24. Now over in the NFC, I'll go with the two seed Saints in a romp over the seven seed Bears. This is probably outside of Washington. Obviously, the Bears are not a playoff team, and so the Saints should absolutely. D- I'm gonna. I think this is gonna be a destruction. I think I have the Bears winning forty to ten. All right, this is gonna be a blowout with the seeds with the Saints at home against the Bears. And uh, over uh, out west, you have the number three seeded Seahawks at home against the number six seed Rams. Rams are a tough team. This should be a. This might be one of the best games of the weekend, and I think this is going to be a really good one. I have I have the Seahawks winning thirty to twenty eight, and then finally in the last NFC uh, Wild Card game this weekend, you've got Tom Brady and the five seed Bucks. They seem to be hitting their stride as well right now, and you kind of thought that that would happen with Tom Brady needing to get a little bit of uh, his feet. Underneath him in a new city with new teammates and all that, I have the I have Tom Brady and the five seeded Bucks uh, winning a close one over the four seed Washington football team on the road. Washington has a really good defense. Alex Smith hopefully will be a little bit healthier uh, on uh, uh, this week, and I don't know if the game's on Saturday or Sunday now as I'm sitting here talking about it. But um, I have Tom Brady beating uh, the Washington football team. I think they pull away late. I think it's twenty four. Uh, pardon me, twenty three to thirteen. So for my Super Bowl prediction, I'm really hoping we get a Chiefs-Bills AFC Championship game. That would be a ton of fun, and that's what I'm predicting with the Chiefs winning the AFC Championship. In the NFC, I like the Packers to beat the Seahawks in the NFC Championship game. And then Packers versus Chiefs, I got the Packers beating the Chiefs in the Super Bowl to give Aaron Rodgers his second Super Bowl title. So we'll see how it all shakes out here over the next month of NFL playoff football should be. A lot of fun, hopefully, if COVID can keep its big nose out of things. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of Eye on the Enemy. My thanks once again to Rob Motte for joining me on this episode of the podcast. And don't forget to check out all of our other Bleeding Green Nation podcasts here as we chart the way forward. Um, We are going to continue giving you all of the analysis with this football team that never stops making news. So you're not going to want to miss a thing over the next few weeks and months here on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed or at bleedinggreennation.com. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time here on Isle on the Enemy. B G N